0: Hello and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we're talking about the idea of a grants competency model and we have four great guests, Jim McKay, Teresa Falance, Meryl Oliver, and Chris Kopenbarger. So let's see what the experts have to say about about the grants skill set, grants program management, and uh, the need for a curriculum about around grants. So let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. All right, so today our subject is grants management competencies, and uh, I think this is a really interesting subject. Just uh, you know, should there be some standards around folks that support grants in the in the government? And uh, we have some great speakers and uh, panelists today for that discussion, and uh, I'm going to kind of go around the room and let everybody introduce themselves, but uh, why don't we just start off with Jim. Say hello, please.
1: Hi, I'm Jim McKay. Um, I'm currently the uh, Financial and Grants Management Practice Lead for Blake Wilson Group. Uh, More germane to our conversation today is I've, I've got about... 41 years of federal government, uh, financial management and grants management experience. Um, I served as an inspector general and then, um, directly relevant to today, to today's discussion is that I was deputy comptroller at justice program, uh, where I built the infrastructure, uh, supporting a $30 billion grant portfolio. Uh, We went through a period of growth very similar to what's happening now with the COVID funding, uh, where our funds quintupled overnight, and we had to create the entire uh, financial management infrastructure to support that. Um, With that, I am going to turn it over to Teresa, my esteemed colleague with whom I've worked for, gosh, the past six, seven years.
2: Hi, my name is Teresa Falance. Uh, I can't believe that Jim didn't mention that he and I are the co-authors of the Grants Management Body of Knowledge, uh, which was marketed by the National Grants Management Association. Um, I am a consultant in organizational development and education for specific groups. My career is uh, focused on skill development for grants and acquisitions um, and generally other subjects for the last 30 years. Uh, While well, working for a consulting firm, I did lead a, a team of workforce developers in creating a human capital infrastructure for the Navy uh, acquisitions group. So this included a competency model, career roadmap, and a curriculum uh, at about five five levels. Uh, so for the past uh, six years, I've been working with Jim trying to do something similar for grants for a grants specialist infrastructure, and working for projects uh, in that area for DHS, HHS, and USDA.
0: Okay, and how about Chris? Please introduce yourself.
3: Hi, my name is Chris Kopenberger, I'm the Deputy Associate Administrator for HHS's Health Resources and Services Administration, often known as HRSA. I'm in the Office of Financial Assistance Management. I have about 20 years in federal grants and agreements. Uh, the last 18 years, I've been at USDA with four different agencies, and I've performed uh, in the areas of operations, policy, monitoring and oversight, and grant systems. Uh, particularly over the last two years, we've seen a big influx in, in assistance funding, uh, and as part of that, uh, I've been involved in hiring approximately 200 grant professionals. So I've seen firsthand the need for new Uh, competent candidates to enter into the federal government's grants workforce.
0: Great. Well, thank you. Uh, Welcome, Chris. And uh, we have one more uh, speaker here today. Meryl, uh, please uh, introduce yourself.
4: Thank you, Paul. My name is Meryl Oliver. I have about 20 years in grants management. Um, I'm currently the executive vice president and chief customer officer for eCivis, a grants management software company. I'm the former director of the Maryland Governor's Grants Office, the former deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget for the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, and also their uh, director of the Federal Funds Management Office. I'm a past three-term president of the National Grants Management Association, where I launched the Certified Grants Management Specialist Credential back in 2011. I've co-chaired the Presidential Executive Order Workgroup on Improper Payments, and I'm a former steering committee member of the AGA Intergovernmental Partnership. So I'm very, very interested in this subject, as it definitely has an impact external to uh, the federal government, as those of us um, are executing our grant programs at the state and local level. So thank you for inviting me.
0: All right. No, sounds like we have uh, exactly the right people to talk about this subject today, so I'm very happy you all are here. So so let's jump into it. Um, why don't we start with Jim? Maybe you can kind of guide us, give us a kickoff here. Kind of a simple, simple question, but maybe a hard answer. I mean, what would you say is kind of our current state of grants management in in the government, federal, state, local? Just what's what's the current state of grants management? Tell us.
1: Well, as uh, both Chris and uh, Merrill have mentioned, we're we're currently looking at an unprecedented unprecedented level of funding uh, from 2020 to 2022. Uh, You know, prior to COVID, uh, there were about $800 billion uh, of grant funds appropriated annually, uh, which at that time was double the amount of contracting money that the federal government puts out there. Now we're talking about five trillion, um, which means because grants oftentimes uh, run on for more than a year or two, um, at any given time we could have from five to to seven, eight, nine trillion dollars active grants on the street. As of right now, of the five trillion that's been awarded, four point three billion has been obligated by the federal agencies. Um, so, what kind of risk does this pose uh for the industry? Well, in two thousand and fifteen, the White House estimated its uh, improper payments at about one hundred thirty seven billion dollars a year. Um, if we roll forward now through the roll the rounds of COVID 19 funding, um, based on a recent NBC news report um, which itself was based on a uh a study that had been conducted, um, there's estimated fraud in these new programs that could approach $600 billion. So if you add that to the routine improper payments that we uh, experience, we're well over $700 billion in potential fraud, waste, and abuse. Um, As far as the talent pool goes, OPM recently closed an emergency hiring announcement seeking to hire 1,000 grant specialists. This is very similar to the push that went on a few years ago when we had a crisis in the acquisition field. Um, The federal government has experienced a shortage in grants management specialists. USA Jobs still lists 358 open positions from GS-7 to GS-15. And as we know from previous presentations on this subject, the federal workforce still lacks a grants management competency model and curriculum that is mandated across all agencies.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, speaking of that talent shortage, you know, how do you, I, I'm thinking, Chris, you know, over at HERSA, you're on the front lines of this, you know, how is this affecting you all? How are you able to uh, identify talent over there?
3: Yes, uh, thanks for the question, Paul. And, and uh, maybe what I'll do is just provide a response both for for HRSA and, and uh, in my previous experience with the Forest Service, because both of those, as I had mentioned, have been uh, have had a lot of money uh, put towards their programs. Uh, of course, no two agencies are the same; needs always vary. Um, and uh, and I'm going to kind of respond from a from a grant administrator's view and, and not that of somebody from human resources. Uh, kind of since as a as a leader in the grants community, uh, I'm, I'm the end user. Uh, I'd also like to say there are tons of all stars in in the grants community. Uh, there are many, many, many. I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is, is is growing as an organization in a timely manner to meet the needs of getting funds out the door, uh, particularly these new funds. Um, so, uh, with that being said, just a little bit of context for for where I'm at with HRSA. Uh, HRSA has about $19 billion uh, annually in grants, and that's increased double just over the last couple of years. Uh, our numbers have been kind of stagnant around 240 grants professionals um, going through the full breadth of grants and agreements services, uh, both in terms of depth and breadth. Uh, we are led by uh, SESs. The Forest Service uh, has about a $2 billion portfolio with about 100 grant specialists over the last several years. Uh, and then with uh, infrastructure and a couple of and two other major programs, uh, the Forest Service uh, effectively needed to double its workforce uh, to meet those needs. Um, that's kind of what happens when you get 10 billion extra dollars um, mm-hmm. coming to your organization. So in terms of filling the vacancies, uh, that has actually happened. Uh, there's there's not a lot of positions that remain unvacant after going through the HR process. Uh, but the general approach with respecting to building that talent uh, in, in the federal sector for so those agencies, and I think this, this extends to other agencies as, as well, has been to grow staff competencies in-house as they climb the career ladder. Of course, this means that sometimes staff are often developing competencies on the job, uh, Some pros and cons, but lacks creating standardized baseline knowledge, skills, and experiences. So in other words, what happens? With somebody at one agency it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be terribly helpful for them when they go to another agency with funds increasing and the need for more staff uh inexperienced in the federal grants field the need to build this talent is and will continue to increase um so it's, as you can imagine it's difficult to find someone who can do it all uh, and if you do find that person you can pretty much guarantee that they're going to move on pretty quickly uh, so Uh, you know, that's kind of my initial responses is is we're, we're, we're doing it, but, uh, but, the concerns are growing.
0: Sure. No. And you said, and you you mentioned folks have to be able to do it all. I mean, that's a pretty tall order there. I mean, what, you know, what's the approach that you've taken to, you know, to finding employees that can do that all, or maybe to break things up a little bit. I mean, that's, that's a pretty tall order. Uh,
3: It is, Uh, but I'll go with yes and no. So I heard that there's been very little in the way of challenges filling positions uh, as, our, as we really look for kind of the, the best and the brightest, and, and our agency is, is uh, set up in a way that we can uh, bring in those with, with a lot of, of uh, uh, prior experiences and a lot of competencies. Uh, and, and we do this bringing them up through our own staff or, or bringing them up uh, you know, from other federal agencies. Uh, this has worked well for us. But the negative side of this is, is it results in a zero net sum change for federal grants professionals. So in other words, uh, we're kind of stealing Peter to pay Paul uh, from the from the federal perspective. At the Forest Service, we had a change in uh, we had to make a change in our approach uh, for the newly created positions. Uh, for example, I was involved in hiring about 100 new staff or new positions within about a four month time frame, which uh, in itself was a miracle. And, and uh, uh, kudos to the Forest Service HR team. Uh, we knew we couldn't fill all of these uh, at the mid-level grades, uh, high-level grades, so we hired most at the entry level, so we're talking GS-5, GS-7. Uh, in order to entice applicants and to provide uh, a career path, we hired the staff uh, with a full potential level for a GS-11, so they had a nice ladder. And then, but we also had to place them in a multi-year training program, uh, so that took about two to four years. That's kind of the, the schedule for that. Uh, as we hired at those mid-levels, we basically stole candidates from other Forest Service units or other U.S. agencies' uh, grant teams. Uh, while this helps to ensure that we had a bet- better qualified candidates it's also meant another unit or agency lost their investment. Um, and in another case, uh, prior leadership positions were filled, uh, and I define this kind of at the GS-14 level, uh, were filled with a majority of program staff who had management and leadership skills, but they also lacked grant management specific skills.
0: Right, yeah, kind of having to go to other agencies to find folks when I guess also the converse would be true, you know, the folks that work for you, and there's so many grant management jobs out there now, you know, did you guys have trouble retaining staff?
3: Oh, yeah, uh, that's always a challenge, right? When everybody's robbing Peter to pay Paul, um, you know, it's just changing who's got the coins in their pocket. Um, both of the agencies, the Forest Service and, and HRSA, are seeing a lot of folks um, putting in full careers. Uh, but I'll say the job retention these last couple of years really seems dependent on three main factors. One is retirement. So I think everybody knows there's an aging federal workforce. The grants community is no different. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities to climb the career ladder. I think generally we're seeing higher grades out there uh, and more opportunities. And related to this, the latter is this, the ability to work from home. You know, with COVID-19, uh, we've seen more agencies and more positions avail themselves to either increase telework days or just working remotely. Uh, obviously, with the retirements, we can't stop those and we don't want those. I want to retire someday. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, no surprise there, right? Um, but we also need to be able to create ladders to get people to, uh, to stay and to develop. Um, and I, in my personal opinion is I think we need to get more opportunities for folks to, to work remotely. And I think by encouraging those across the board, uh, we can kind of help uh, increase that job retention.
0: Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, all agencies are now either struggling or taking advantage of that remote work. But I think, you know, this is just a new normal. Um, So I guess I wanted to turn a little bit back to the competencies This kind of uh, what we're we're focusing on today. You know, uh, I guess, you know, have you been satisfied? You said there's definitely some all-stars out there um, with the candidates that you all get for grant support um, and, you know, the the amount of experience and training that are you guys getting what you need? You know, just tell us a little bit about how you feel about uh, those areas.
3: All right. Yeah, sure. Uh, From an HR perspective, of course, all new hires are qualified. Uh, for the positions with their hired, uh, and just in case, though, a, a new hire may be subject to a one-year prob- probation period to demonstrate satisfactory performance. Uh, that said, with a government-wide approach, agencies often have to invest significant time and financial resources to build their team's uh, competencies. This makes it really a disjointed and inconsistent process that can often take too much time and create unnecessary challenges. These challenges uh, will likely increase for those that have these new funds and quick turnarounds to get the money awarded. Right. So if you get money in uh, in, in February and you got to get everything w- awarded by the end of the fiscal year in September, there's not much time to onboard people and, and get them uh, to the competencies levels that you need. Um, federal government as a whole hasn't made it a priority to define the path to building these competencies. So as you can imagine, staff aren't always well prepared. Uh, and as I mentioned, retirements earlier, this can be exacerbated if we start seeing more and more uh, of those with 20, 30, 40 years of experience leaving. Uh, in the long term, it would be ideal to have standard training that uh, eventually can be um, what I like to think acquired at the university level, right? So everybody can get trained in budget and finance things at, at colleges and universities. I'd like to see the day where. Uh, where we can start getting people trained before they enter into the federal sector.
2: So, uh, Chris, uh, this is Teresa, and I thought I would ask uh, another question a little deeper on what you were just saying. It sounds like you have several levels of employees, and they need to get be able to build up each successive level as they go through their career. Uh, is that the situation you're faced with?
3: Yeah, I, I think of it that way. I, I kind of think of it in terms of entry level, mid-level, uh, and then, you know, senior level positions. So, at the entry level, you know, at the 5, 7, GS 5, and 7 levels, uh, agencies are generally hiring more on potential rather than grants knowledge and experience. Uh, you know, my experience is that most applications have little or no specific mentions of federal grants knowledge and experience, like literally, uh, I can... I've seen many, many uh, high percentages of, of resumes that don't even mention the word grant in them. Uh, since these positions often require fact-based competencies, agencies often need to provide that training. And I've already mentioned how the Forest Service has a great training program to walk them through that developmental process, but it's a time investment. Um, and I'll say at, at HHS, they are currently working on a, a certification program in workforce development. For those mid-levels, so I'm thinking like nine to GS thirteen, uh, there's definitely a full spectrum ranging from fully competent to those needing further training. Keep in mind that any movement from one agency to another invariably means new systems, program authorizations and appropriations, new administrative processes and systems. So there's a lot to learn. Um, also, in some cases, the incumbent had a previous grant position that was hyper-focused on a smaller subset of activities or functions. Um, and then when they're entering into a new position, they may all of a sudden need to be a jack-of-all-trades, you know, full life cycle, or the vice versa could, could take place. Uh, and so there's a learning component to that. Also, incumbents, incumbents may need to, pur- to further uh, their training on competencies related to leading teams because, right, we're talking mid-level, uh, building coalitions, managing projects and systems knowledge. So there definitely needs to be moving from, from just the fact-based uh, to these other skill sets. Throughout agencies, this is a great place where incumbents take advantage of laterals to kind of expand some of those opportunities. Now, at the senior level, which I kind of think of as a GS-14 and 15 level, staff are generally very knowledgeable uh, across the spectrum of grants knowledge and have in-depth technical knowledge. Uh, often, these staff require opportunities to develop their competencies in seeing issues from a strategic perspective, you know, understanding implications of internal and external politics, uh, managing larger teams. Uh, you know, because now they're no longer kind of operationalized, they're, they're leading the team. Uh, at the Forest Service, for example, grants personnel, 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 excuse me, locked out on the majority of new GS-14 positions, as I mentioned earlier, because they lacked that leadership skills. But from a technical perspective, they were uh, spot on. They were probably exactly where they needed to be.
0: Well, Chris, yeah, thank you very much for that uh that very detailed uh, kind of explanation of what's going on on the federal level. And uh, we'll give you a chance to rest here. I did want to ask one of our other panelists, Merrill. you know, as far as the state and local governments, you know, uh, it sounds like this is a big problem in the federal government, you know, just the, the, getting the, the right staff and having them stick around and have the right skill sets. You know, what are some of the state and local governments doing to uh, attract and retain uh, some competent applicants and grants management?
4: Uh, yes, this is, um, Paul, particularly challenging. Um, typically, the further outside the beltway you get, grants management knowledge drops off exponentially, and then grants management, the function of grants management, falls into other duties as assigned. Um, the grants management talent pool is extremely limited. Um, you know, you're experiencing that at the federal level, it is, uh, again, exponential, external to the federal government. So what happens is the definition of a grants manager varies based on the current operating environment of a particular unit of government. The focus of those units of government executing federal or even non-federal grant programs tends to fall into siloed job categories such as finance officer, program officer, administrative assistant, and so on. But you know, we know that grants management is a blend of multiple functions to include program management, financial management, performance management, procurement, compliance, monitoring, audit, and so on. The, the list goes on and on. So you can understand the extreme difficulty recruiting talent that has qualified experience across multiple functional areas of government, and that's exactly what grants managers are required to have a level of understanding and competency across multiple functional areas.
2: Um, Let me chime in here with one more question for Chris. Um, I've heard you discussing the lack of structured education, just as Meryl just did. And I was wondering about the leadership level. I know that we have the government, uh, the federal government has some good training programs for leaders uh, for SES. Uh, I was wondering if this has to be more specific for the grants management community. Could you make use of that? Or would you have to have that leadership? have some additional focus on uh financial management and grants management uh to get your leaders in that area. Chris.
3: Uh thanks uh Teresa for for the question. Yeah, I think my, my response really aligns uh very closely with what uh, uh you know what Merrill had just said. We've got uh, all of these different functions. You know, she mentioned the program management and the performance compliance. auditing, we have all these types of things, and it's it's hard to find people that are a jack of of all of these trades uh, with that grant focus, right? I you think about uh, grants being the center of the universe and everything going around it. Uh, unfortunately, as we generally as we move up higher levels for many organizations. Uh, there's just a reach out to other uh, business areas to find leaders from those areas. And and I think that this is unfortunate because then I think that uh, some of those folks in leadership don't really understand or appreciate um, the focus of, of uh, the grant administration.
1: So, Meryl, this is this is Jim. Um, I've heard you say that recipients need greater direction on how to operationalize federal grant administration.
4: Yes, yes. Um, because there is uh this lack of formal education in this field, the talent pool reflects the very fragmented approach to grants management, and this has been going on for generations. The irony here, though, is that there are more federal grant dollars issued than federal contract dollars for decades now, yet the government contracting space is a much more controlled environment with very clear education and career paths. Uh, So, yes, I do believe that um, there needs to be greater direction in how to operationalize grants management, and it needs to be backed with some form of competency model that has been formalized.
0: Yeah, and, and let me pick up on that. So I wanted to ask Teresa, so speaking of education and, you know, kind of a formalized uh, approach here, you know, I think we all know you've been studying this for quite a while. You know, why don't you think that this, something like this has been resolved by now?
2: Okay, well, let's recall what all of our speakers have said so far. Uh, to put it in a nutshell, and make grants management training sort of equal to the achievements in the acquisition field, we would be looking for a human capital infrastructure with multiple levels, as as both of our uh, speakers at state and local, and also at federal, had talked about. Uh, these days, they're looking at a five-layer model. So you would have your intern, your journeyman, your master level, and then two more. You would have a, a management level that um, really had an element of project management inserted there and a leadership level that would be um, in a leading innovation for the grants um, services throughout the government. So it would be a five-level model. So what, what do we have so far? Is there nothing out there? No, there's more than, there's quite a bit out there. It's just not been fine-tuned yet to be this kind of layered, multiple-level uh, standardized production. So, so far we have, uh, most of us know about the National Grants Management Association Certification Program, and that's a good base level. Um, for initial training in any topic, It's pretty customary to start with grants vocab, to start with vocabulary and basic concepts. So um, that does a nice job, that program does a nice job there. Um, I know that the GSA, uh, I'm sorry, the USA Graduate School has another course where they similarly are at a fact level, but this one focuses in on administrative aspects of grant management but still at a basic level. Management Concepts has a certification program or a certificate program, and it's also the hallmark of these fact-based programs is that they're lecture-based or they could be e-learning-based, but they're not participative. So there's um, a group of subject matter experts speaking to their audience, And repetition is a good way to learn facts and get a basic vocabulary, but it won't take you to a higher level of mastery. Now, as Chris said earlier, they're having to do that competency level on the job. So because that competency level is achieved by providing hands-on experience. And I haven't seen a single program yet that has hands-on experience where you are actually asking the participants to go through a series of actions and demonstrate a skill right now, the only place you can get that is on the job. And that is not cost efficient for um, any employer, but especially for the federal government.
0: Right. So again, from your experience, I mean, it sounds like obviously there's some decent entry level, you know, training, not very participative as well, as you, as you said, but, you know, why do you think that yeah. there hasn't been a focus Paul, on a higher level? Yeah, sorry, Paul,
1: go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul, I just want to throw in an interesting uh, story. Teresa and I did such a training course uh, up in New York uh, for FEMA uh, grant officials as well as their recipients. And due to time limitations, um, the uh, our leader wanted to uh, cut out the performance management aspect of the course and just stick with the basics and the class erupted we almost had a riot they said performance management that's what we need and and the the hallmark of our course was the fact that we had developed an experiential training so there were multiple exercises throughout the training and uh folks basically said we haven't had training like this before and it was exactly what they wanted
0: yeah, no, it sounds like it. Sounds like the the, the market is out there. They want this training. Um, so, yeah, Teresa, I, you know, going back to that, again, why why don't you think uh, agencies are focused on this higher level training and some of the more specifics, like Jim was mentioning?
2: Okay, so about twenty years ago, I think the government had been using a great process that they developed with one of their consulting agencies for developing a competency infrastructure. And they used this very successfully for several years. If you want to see an example of that, you could just Google on the internet, Accountant GS510, and that's that's the, um, the OPM la- label for an accountant. If you did that plus competency model, you'll see this free download that runs through an extensive infrastructure built by an uh, intra-federal agency effort. Uh, each competency is identified that an accountant needs to be able to demonstrate, and there's some important additions to just naming the skill. It would give you an example of that skill demonstrated, and in this particular model, there are three levels of mastery. So, it'll show you that skill if you're an intern. That same skill, if you are a journeyman, that same skill, if you're a master. Uh, it has the, It will give you the ability to designate something tangible, for instance, like designing a new accounting system uh, that has to be taught by a combination of theory and an opportunity to practice doing it. Um, but what has happened here is there was... Um, an extensive infrastructure that was actually uh, built by NIH in 2011, it was terrific. It was uh, just very similar to the accounting one that I just described. What happened is in 2014, uh, the law became a new regulation, the uniform guidance was released, and the 2011 model was not updated. To include those the, that very important legislation, so um, they don't have a complete course anymore. They don't have a complete competency model. So without that, we hear that all different places are creating. Um, they're creating training. Some government agencies are creating training. Some universities, some associations, but that training doesn't have a common foundation, and that's the problem. There's no reciprocity from group to group to say that I am a mid-level grants manager because none of these are synchronized to a particular framework, and that framework would be a competency model. So we have several problems here so far, The needed skills have not been identified. No one's put out. These are the definitive set of skills that we all agree on. The criteria for judging how well the skill is demonstrated is almost never included in a model that I've seen and attempted a model. And there are no current approved benchmarks to, to demonstrate the level of proficiency that can be demonstrated by the learner. So, even though there are criteria, I'm sure, listed on, uh, on job announcements, it doesn't go into, that wouldn't be the place to go into an de- in-depth assessment of where along the uh, career a grants manager finds himself or herself.
0: Right. So, well, I mean, you know, if, if it was up to you, I mean, what do you think, what would be the next steps to kind of get us to where we need to go?
2: Well, okay, Um, there are several attempts to begin competency modeling. HHS did one a couple of years ago, um, and I've seen some start-up here and there. OMB has one that is very scant, and it's basically not grants management. It's all of financial management. So the first thing is that a coalition of people needs to be put together uh, to develop a universal framework that defines the skills and it's very uh, specifically articulated, not just a word or one word, but takes into consideration the need for multiple levels, skills from peripheral disciplines, as Merle mentioned, is very important. Um, There needs to be a competency model that could be developed with criteria for success, and I would recommend the five-level: intern, journeyman, master, manager, and leader. The federal government has made several attempts to do it, without great success. There's usually something, a bigger priority, that stops it, or it just um, it goes into a group, and and the the job never gets finished. They're diverted to something else. Another way of looking at it is it is customary to expect a professional association to create or at least have extensive input uh, in defining a competency model for a profession. So AGA has been looking at this problem for a while, and Jim and I have been working to talk about this particular problem with AGA. Uh, So they are exploring possibilities to help generate input interest at the federal level to act as a catalyst to get this development started. And I know that having it at the federal level is not sufficient. We also need it at the recipient level. But to that, i say we have to start somewhere. And if there is a base standard, then each agency can take that base standard and customize it to their needs. But the government is going to get a a lot more bang for its buck than having each agency set aside a period of time to do the same work that a coalition would be able to do. So um, AGA is looking to ways that they can encourage this from happening. So I would advise anyone interested in this subject, to be sure to keep your eye on the grants area at AGA and watch for some developments because I think uh, they're starting to be a groundswell going towards getting this job done. Well,
0: that's great. Yeah, it sounds like something we definitely need and from everything you've laid out here today. So, so no, but thanks everybody, Teresa, Jim, Merrill, Chris for joining us today. This was a great conversation Maybe, Jim, I know you started off. Maybe you want to finish this out here. Any final words for us, or uh, I'll I'll turn it over to you, Jim.
1: Sure. Sure. Um, And uh, my other colleagues are welcome to uh, throw in some last comments if they want to as as well. But I'll say this. Uh, We've heard the uh, grants management environment described as being uh, comprised of people, process, Uh, systems, governance, and so on. And the entire industry is beset, beset with problems in those areas. And the problem is until we address the lack of this foundation that has been described by everyone in this presentation, until we address that foundational issue, all we're doing is attacking the symptoms in all those other areas. So it's like a doctor who comes in and just treats your system, your symptoms, but never cures the disease. Um, so until we have this framework in place, we're going to continue to experience those problems across all elements of the grants management environment.
0: All right, very well said, Merrill. Chris, any any other final comments? You don't have to if you don't want to, but I'll give you a chance here.
4: Um, yes, yeah, thank you. I, I, I agree with um, my colleague's assessment of the entire situation. In an ideal world for me, uh, with my focus on state and local government, which is where the majority of the funds end up, um, I would certainly um, appreciate any efforts that um, the federal government engages in um, with building coalitions to include state and local government just for that frame of reference, because grants management looks and feels and operates very differently than it does um, internally within the the federal government. Um, And I do think that AGA is uh, well positioned um, uh, because of the, the, um, the relationship that they do have with state and local government. So this has been an outstanding conversation. Thank you.
0: Thank you all right Chris you're on the spot. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, <laughs> sure
3: yeah great that, thanks Paul. So what I say is a grant management uh line of business, what an awesome place to work uh, just it's it, it's cool being the jack of all trades it's It's great to yeah. have all of these competencies. What if I look forward to the day the day that fifth graders say. I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be in grant management. Uh, you know that may be a ways away, but I think that the competency model could certainly help us to get there. And and, and when we get there, I hope that uh, agencies or appropriators think about the resources that need to act uh, that we would need to actually implement that. You know, so uh, appropriate funding to make um, the actions take place.
0: All right. Well, with that, we come to the end of a great podcast. Uh, Teresa, Jim, Merrill, Chris, thanks again, and uh, thanks for joining the podcast today.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. A-G-A-C-G-F-M-O-R-G. That's where you go. Get all the podcasts. Now well into uh, our hundreds here, so plenty of stuff for you to listen to. And of course, plenty more coming up. So, we're just now getting the backlog cleared up a bit. We have quite a few we recorded over the last couple months and we want to get them out there. So, hope you are enjoying them. And uh, until you come back that next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.